0: January Sunday morning the snow was blowing it was almost a blizzard but this 16-year-old boy had a wrestle wrestling in his heart and he knew he had to go to church that day so he gets up and he begins to walk the streets looking for a church that was open on that day and so after being bombarded in the blizzard he finds himself in a little Methodist chapel on that Sunday morning. And the pastor got snowed in that morning, and so the pastor was not even able to preach. And so it was a lay preacher that day. And that lay preacher wasn't the greatest speaker in the world. He wasn't have that, he didn't have that dynamic personality. He was actually kind of boring. But as he began preaching... His text that morning was from Isaiah 45, 22, which says, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. And that country preacher, that layman, looked at that young boy on the back row, fixed his eyes right on that young man and said, You look miserable today. Yes, I'm talking to you. You look miserable. Turn your eyes to Jesus and live. You need to put your eyes on Jesus and find life. Put your eyes on Jesus, turn to Jesus, turn to Jesus and live. You will find life if you turn to Jesus and live. You have nothing but to look at Jesus. And when the Holy Spirit invaded that young man's heart, and this is what he said. When I was in the hand of the Holy Spirit, under the conviction of sin, I had a clear and sharp sense of the holiness of God. Sin, whatever it might be to other people, became to me an intolerable burden. It was not so much that I feared hell as that I feared sin, and all the while I had upon my mind a deep concern for the honor of God's name. It was a small church, 15 people there, It was a lay pastor that that preached, look to the Lord and live. And God used that moment to bring conviction to this young man, and he became a Christian that day, that 16-year-old boy. Now, you may not have known that story, but you know who that 16-year-old boy is. It's none other than Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the greatest preacher of all time, in my opinion. And God used a small church on a cold January day and the power of the Holy Spirit gripped that young man. Now, maybe you can't remember the exact time you were saved. Remember a few weeks ago I talked about, I remember on the, on the edge of my bed in 1979 uh, being under deep conviction. You may not be like Paul where you were on the road to Damascus and, and a blinding light hit you. You may not remember the exact moment and and all the events surrounding your your conversion but one thing is true the only reason you and i are christians today is because the holy spirit did a work of conviction deep into your heart and he opened your eyes to show you your need for jesus last week we explored paul's conversion now he was blinded on the road to damascus and we looked at three stages. We kind of talked about how to give your personal testimony. And we looked at the life of Paul, your life before your conversion, your life at, what, how God saved you, and then, then your life after. Is your life after demonstrating a changed life? Are people giving glory to God because of the changed life that you've received? And I, as I dug deeper into this text of scripture, I don't want to move on from it so quickly there's a little phrase in the original language that caught my attention that I just I haven't been able to move beyond. And as I began to study that little phrase in the original language, it got me on to another study of how Paul was converted on the road to Damascus. And so what I want us to do is I want us to camp out again on this, this passage of Scripture. We looked at it last week, but I want to look at it in a little bit more detail this morning. What does it mean to truly be converted? What does it mean to truly come to faith in Christ? So let's just read two verses this morning. We read them last week, but we're going to read them again. And I'm going to explain to you in your English translations, well, you, it, may, it may not translate it quite as accurately as the, as the original Greek. Some, like my ESV, it has a footnote that, that puts down there the exact translation. But let's read Galatians 1, 15 and 16. Galatians 1, 15 and 16. But when... He who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by His grace was pleased to reveal His Son in me in order that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone. Now, in verse 16, your Bible may say, God was pleased to reveal His Son to me. Actually, in the original Greek, It's God revealed his son in me. Now we can understand if Paul were to use the word to. Because on the road to Damascus, Jesus was revealed to Paul. He met Paul. He came to Paul physically. But that's not what Paul says here in the original text. He doesn't say Jesus appeared or Jesus was revealed to me, which is true. He chooses a different way to say it. He says Jesus was revealed in me. There's a difference between to and in. What does it mean that Jesus was revealed in Paul? It means that something happened deep in Paul's soul, deep in Paul's heart, to where his eyes were opened to who Jesus truly was. God's transforming grace invaded Paul to the depth of his soul. And showed him who he was, and showed him who Jesus was. It was more than just a, bl- a blinding light on the road to Damascus. There was something that happened inside Paul's heart to see who Jesus was. The light bulb went on in his mind to see who Christ truly was. Now this language "in "In me, in Christ," shows up a couple of times in Galatians. Galatians 2:20. Famous passage of scripture, we'll get there in a few weeks. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ who lives in me. So Christ was revealed in Paul. Christ came to live in Paul. Galatians 4, 6. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. It's a very interesting language. Got me thinking. What in the world does it mean for Jesus to be revealed in you? Not just to you, but in you. What does that really mean? Now we know that Paul was called by grace. Because go back to verse 15. We looked at this last week, but when he who set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me. So there was a moment in time where Paul was overcome with God's grace. God called him and God revealed Jesus deep into his heart. The Westminster Shorter Catechism has a great question and answer about salvation you know a catechism ask a question and then you answer it so when when Aidan was younger we 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 didn't call it catechism we called it questions some of you do the Baptist catechism some of you catechize your kids you ask the question the kid gives you back an answer well here's the question it's question 31 what is calling when God calls you what is this calling by grace okay that's what the catechism asks what's the calling here's the answer Calling is the work of God's Spirit, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ, and renewing our wills, He persuades and enables us, and here's the key thing, to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. So for this morning, I just want to ask a simple question. What is true conversion? What is true salvation? What does it mean? When when Paul says Christ was revealed in me, what happened to Paul? What has happened to you? How were you saved? Here's Here's the question. What is conversion? What is salvation? Well, let me give you the answer this morning. True salvation is embracing Jesus Christ as he's freely offered to us in the gospel. Now, the Bible tells us we have to do two things in order to be saved, right? Number one, we have to know who Jesus is in the gospel. We've got to know the facts of who Jesus is. We've got to know about our sin. We've got to know who Christ is. We've got to know that His death, burial, and resurrection. We've got to know some things about who Jesus is as he's freely offered to us in the gospel. But, But then the second thing we have to do is we have to make it personal. We have to embrace Jesus Christ. Now, think about that word for a moment. Embrace. Why did the Westminster Divines, back in the day, use the terminology embracing Jesus? When you embrace, some of you embraced this morning, didn't you? I saw you doing the welcome. What's an embrace? You hugged each other, right? So there's, there's something different than just saying, yeah, I know about Jesus. Yeah, I have some, some, some information about Jesus to clinging to Jesus in faith to embracing him in the totality of who he is. I've given this illustration to you before. Andrew calls it the, par- the parachute illustration. So here's the parachute illustration. You've probably heard this before. Okay. Well, that's not the parachute illustration. It's the, the bungee jumping illustration. I'm missing up my illustrations. Sean, pay attention to what you're doing here. You're, you're in front of people. Okay, so bungee jumping. Okay, so how many of you have ever done bungee jumping? Anybody? Good. I'm glad, because that's a crazy thing to do. So let's say you and I are going bungee jumping. So here's what you do. When you, when you go bungee jumping, you stand on the edge of a cliff or a bridge, and they give you the bungee harness. And you can take that bungee harness, and you can be like, oh, wow, that's a really cool bungee harness. It's blue. It's really colorful. I like it. It looks pretty well made. As a matter of fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try on the bungee harness. This fits, this fits me pretty good. I like the bungee harness. I, I believe in the bungee harness. It's a cool bungee harness. And you can sit there all day with the bungee harness on and what? Acknowledge the bungee harness. But have you, do you have faith in the bungee harness? When do you have faith? When you do something really stupid and you jump. Right? When you jump, what are you doing? You're saying, I no longer have just knowledge the bungee jump, the bungee cord's going to hold me. What do you do? you put all of your trust in the actual bungee cord to not make you have a devastating date with gravity and crash on the the ground. So there's a difference between just saying, you know what, I know about Jesus. He looks looks good, I'll I'll try him on, versus I'm going to embrace him with my entire life. I'm going to trust him with my entire life. I'm going to embrace Christ as he's freely offered to me in the gospel. Now think about what happened to Paul on the road to Damascus. Two things happened. Jesus spoke to him, appeared to him. Okay, let's think about the word to. Jesus appeared to Paul. Can't deny it. He appeared physically, blinded him on the road to Damascus. Jesus appeared to him. But what does Paul say here in Galatians? Not only did Jesus appear to me, Jesus appeared in me. In me. So, something needs to happen to you as well. The Word of God has to come to you, but the Holy Spirit has to do something in you. And so there's two things that play in our conversion. We need to be able to hear the Gospel come to us in words, in preaching the external Word of God, but we also need the Holy Spirit to do an internal work, to open our eyes, to do something in our hearts, You see, a lost person, a person without Jesus, they may know a lot about Jesus. They may have some intellectual facts about who Christ is. They may actually understand the historical record. You go up to a lost person, do you believe Jesus? Oh yeah, I believe Jesus. Do you believe in his death, burial, and resurrection? Yeah, I believe in his death, burial, and resurrection. They believe a lot about Jesus, but they've never actually truly trusted in Christ had this work of grace done in them they've never embraced Jesus they've never seen Jesus in all of his glory they've never trusted him they never pledged allegiance to him all they see in Jesus is just the historical record a good man maybe a martyr maybe somebody who had some good teachings but do you realize Satan and his demons have that type of faith but they're not saved. James 2.19, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So demons believe the facts about who Jesus is. So in order for you and I to be saved, something deeply spiritual, supernatural, miraculous, sovereign, whatever word you want to use, transforming, something has to happen deep into our hearts. To do that work of grace that we can't do on our own because we're sinners. So, as we think about Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus, and I started studying the wording Paul uses in his conversion experience on the road to Damascus, and this whole little phrase here, Christ was revealed in me, I began doing more study, and it took me to 2 Corinthians. So we're going to explore 2 Corinthians this morning. We're going to jump out of Galatians, okay? So so bear with me. Because what I want us to think about here is that very interesting phrase that Paul says there in verse 16, God was pleased to reveal His Son in me. In me. What does that mean? So turn over two books. Actually, one book to to the left. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul uses a lot of the same language that he used about his conversion experience on the road to Damascus. Now, what happened at the road to Damascus? Bright, shining lights, right? Being blinded. So let's read together 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What I want to do this morning is explore three things that either have happened to you, if you're a believer this morning in Jesus Christ, or three things that need to happen to you if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. These things happen to Paul. These things happen to every single person that's been saved, and we see it from this passage of Scripture. So here's truth number one, just three truths. Here's truth number one. Lost people are spiritually blinded to the glory of Christ. Lost people, people without Jesus, people that aren't saved, they are blinded, spiritually blinded, to the glory of Christ. Now, Paul knew who Jesus was, right? Before his salvation, Paul was going door to door. Paul was thinking he was, he was doing the, word of, the work of God. He knew who Jesus was. He knew the historical record that Jesus died on the cross and rose again. He knew these Christians were following Jesus. He was a good Pharisee. Paul had facts. Paul had the historical record. Paul knew this man named Jesus. Paul even had his Old Testament if he would have paid attention. But what was wrong with Paul? He was blinded. The glory of Christ. Now, have you ever asked the question, why was Paul blinded on the road to Damascus? Why blinding? Was it just a coincidence, or was God sovereignly doing something in Paul's life to say, Listen, you've been so blinded to who Jesus is, I'm going to physically blind you as the way to compound or show your spiritual blindness? And notice what Paul says here in verse 3 Those that are perishing. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Those who are perishing, we don't use the word perishing much these days. What does it mean to perish? Well, when the Bible uses the word perish, it means eternal hell, to be separated from God. And it's in the present tense. There are those that are right now perishing in the sense that there are those right now who, if they don't trust Christ for salvation, they are under God's wrath. And if they die in that condition, if they die as one, as an unbeliever, they will perish eternally away from the presence of the Lord. And so lost people are blinded by who? The God of this age. Okay, that's Satan. Satan, the God of this age, has blinded the minds of unbelievers From what? What have the minds of unbelievers been blinded from seeing? The facts about the gospel? Now, when I say, when Paul says a, a lost person is blinded to Jesus, does that mean that when you share the gospel with them, they don't understand the facts? Does that mean that that you can take them through a passage of Scripture and they have no clue what you're talking about? Does that mean they can't track intellectually what you're saying? Does that mean they don't understand Bible stories? No, that's not what it means. It doesn't mean that when you present the gospel to somebody, they don't understand the facts. They don't understand the information that somehow they're not tracking with you. Look closely what Paul says. What are they blinded from? Look there in verse 4. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing. Now that word seeing there is a very key word. It means to see clearly, to see evidently. What can't they see? The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. It's not just they can't see the facts about who Jesus is, they can't see Christ in all of his glory. They can't see the beauty of who Jesus is. They are blinded to the glories of Christ in the gospel. This is nothing new. Jesus taught it back in John chapter 3. What did Jesus see about seeing, about being blinded? John chapter 3, he's talking to Nicodemus at night. John 3, 3-6... through six. Jesus answered him, "'Truly, truly, I say to you, "'unless one is born again, he cannot what? "'See the kingdom of heaven.'" Nicodemus said to him, "'How can a man be born when he's old?' Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered him, Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Jesus says, listen, Nicodemus, you can't even see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Paul says the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the glory of Christ in the gospel. So here's the, here's the deal. Lost people may know all the facts about who Jesus is. They may know the historical record. They may even believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again. But there's something that has not happened to them. They do not see Jesus as glorious, as worthy, as treasure, as all-consuming, as the one to whom they would going to give their life and pledge their allegiance and bow before him as their Lord. They truly can't see how glorious and majestic he is. They can't see the light. The light glory the radiance the shining forth of christ's glory as king of kings and lord of lords why can't they see that they're blinded spiritually they can't see the kingdom of heaven so this is something terrible that all lost people have to deal with they're blinded to who jesus truly is doesn't mean they don't know the facts doesn't mean they can't track with you the historical narrative. It doesn't mean that they don't understand information. It means when it comes down to it, in their heart of hearts, they can't see how glorious Jesus truly is to where they would want to give their life to Him. So something has to over, be overcome. Something has to overcome that blindness because... Lost people can't just take the blinders off. They're they're spiritually dead. They're spiritually lost. Something has to happen. And so Paul gives two things that have to happen. So let's look at truth number two. So truth number one, lost people are spiritually blinded. Here's truth number two. The gospel of Christ must be clearly preached. Okay, we see this in verse five. Okay, if lost people are blinded, if they can't see the glory of Christ, notice what Paul says in verse five. For what we proclaim, what we preach, what we declare, what we share is not ourselves. We don't talk about ourselves. We don't tell stories about ourselves. You and me aren't going to save anybody. What do we preach? Jesus Christ is Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. See, when Paul says we proclaim, that's a strong word that means we announce. We declare with authority. We tell people who Jesus is is. We preach Him as Lord. So yes, lost people need information. They need to know who Christ is. We need to tell them. You've got to share, like we talked about last week, share your testimony. You've got to clearly and compassionately and compellingly tell people about Jesus. You've got to preach Christ. You've got to share about Christ. You've got to preach Him clearly. You've got to give the facts about who he is. You've got to talk about sin. You've got to talk about repentance. You've got to talk about faith. You've got to talk about the cross. They need content. They need the external word come to them about who Jesus is. And so if a lost person is ever going to get saved, they need to hear the gospel preached. Now what does Paul say about this over in Romans chapter 10? Romans 10, 14-15. How then will they call on him whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So, it's important for us to preach Christ in such a way that people can hear it clearly. That's why sound doctrine is so important. That's why clear gospel presentations are so important. Paul says we don't preach ourselves, we don't talk about ourselves, we preach Christ. You share Christ, you share the gospel, you talk about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, you talk about the miracles, you talk about the virgin birth, you talk about his life, you give a lost person content about the gospel. But let me just say this, as a preacher, I can preach till I'm blue in the face, about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I can take you from Genesis to Revelation all the way to the maps and show you about Jesus. And I can talk to you, and I can share with you, and I can convey to you, and I can preach to you, and I can talk to you, and I can preach, and I can preach, and I can preach, and I can give you content, and I can preach Christ, and I can preach Christ, but something's got to happen besides just the gospel being presented to you. Something has to happen In you. That's what Paul says. Not only did Christ come to me, Christ was revealed in me. So yes, they need the content. Yes, they need the gospel. Yes, they need sound theology. Yes, they need a verbal witness. Yes, you need to share. But notice the third truth here. The Holy Spirit must do an internal work of supernatural grace. Look at verse 6. Are you tracking with Paul? Okay, verse 4, lost people are spiritually blinded. They can't see the glory of Christ. Verse 5, okay, you've got to preach Christ to them. You've got to preach Jesus to them. But notice verse 6, something else has to happen. For God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. In the face of Christ, does that sound very familiar to Genesis one? What did God say in the beginning? Let there be light. Let there be light. God has to do something in our hearts, Paul says, in us. Reminds me of Isaiah nine two: the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light; those who dwell in the land of deep darkness. On them, a light is shown. For God said, let light shine out of darkness has shone. I'm going to teach you a Greek word. You know the Greek word. Shine is the Greek word lampo. Why do we have the word lamps? It comes from Greek. It means to shine. God has shone in our hearts same exact wording that Paul used on the road to Damascus, the same exact wording that Paul uses, this this light that shone. Listen to Paul's testimony, Acts 26, 13 and 14. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, while you persecuting me, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now remember, what happened to Paul? Light shone to him. He was blinded by the light externally to him. But in Galatians, what does he say? Christ was revealed not only to me, but in me. What's Paul saying here in 2 Corinthians? God shone his light. Where? Where does it say there? God has shown his light in our hearts. Our heart. So there needs to be two things working side by side if any person's going to get saved. The Word of God clearly preached and the Spirit of God doing the internal work. You can't separate the two. The Word of God has to be clearly preached and the Holy Spirit's got to do that internal work. I can preach the word till I'm blue in the face, but until the Holy Spirit does that internal work of conviction, until the Holy Spirit does that internal work, the light's not going to shine. Jesus is just going to be boring. The gospel is just going to be boring. It's just going to be information. It's going to be just some stories. That's, 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 that's interesting, Pastor Sean. That, that's interesting. Have you ever witnessed to somebody and they said, well, that's, that's interesting, or, you know, I, I don't really care. Or maybe they were even hostile to you. You see, you give them the information. But until the Holy Spirit shines that light in their hearts, they're not going to see Jesus as compelling. They're not going to see Jesus as glorious. They're not going to see Jesus as, as, as one to, to pledge their allegiance to. Now, this whole shining in our hearts is referred to by different things throughout the Bible. Okay, so Paul here says, Christ was revealed in me, in Galatians. Here in 2 Corinthians he says, the light has shone in our hearts. In Romans 5.5, 5, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Here Paul says it's, it's the Holy Spirit giving us love in our hearts to see who Jesus is. It's, it's this whole Holy Spirit's coming into our heart. Ephesians chapter 1, 17-18. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? What did we sing earlier? Open the eyes of my heart, Lord, I want to see you. Paul says the eyes. Think about that for a moment. Does your heart have eyes? Does your heart have eyes? It's a metaphor. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. Paul here prays that we need to have our our heart, our eyes so open so that we can see the glory of who Christ is. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. But God, being rich in mercy, Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Here's talk about somebody being spiritually dead who God makes spiritually alive. So you're spiritually blind, you're able to see. You're spiritually dead, you're made alive. The Holy Spirit, he comes and lives in your heart. The Holy Spirit shines that light, like on the day of creation when God said, let there be light. Jesus is revealed in you. Paul just says it in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, real simple. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Jonathan Edwards, the great American pastor during the first great awakening in our nation, preached a very famous passage of, a very famous sermon called A Divine and Supernatural Light. It was in 1743 that he preached this. And he used this metaphor of honey to talk about what it means to have your eyes opened. He says you can have rational judgment that honey is sweet, but not have a sense of its sweetness. And let me give you his illustration. You can go up to a jar of honey and look at the jar of honey and say, you know what? It's got some viscosity that looks like it's sticky. It's kind of amberish, brownish, goldish in color. I hear other people tell me that if I eat honey, it's pretty sweet. And I went on the internet and I looked at some, um, some information about how bees make honey. And that was pretty interesting. And oh, by the way, I watched the, the Food Network and they had a whole special on how you can bake with honey. Honey's pretty cool. I know a lot about honey. Well, do you really know a lot about honey? If you've never had honey before, what's the one thing you don't know? What it tastes like. You don't know anything about honey until you take that spoon, dip it in there, get that honey and put it on your favorite biscuit or your favorite English muffin or whatever bread product you want to put it on. And then you eat, and then you truly taste the honey. And you're like, ooh, that brown stuff that was kind of sticky in that jar that I kind of knew about, now I really know about it because I've tasted it. Now, what does this have to do with Jesus? Well, Jonathan Edwards says a lot of people know about Jesus. They study Jesus. They hear what other people say about Jesus. They read books upon Jesus. They know the historical facts about Jesus. They they may even have a good opinion of Jesus. But you don't really know Jesus until what? You've tasted and seen that he is good. You've embraced him. You've trusted him. That light has gone on in your heart to where you see Jesus as glorious. The Spirit has invaded your heart. He shined the light. You see, there's one thing to have your mind know about Jesus and another thing to have your heart invaded to where you love Jesus I've met too many people over the years who know about Jesus and you can tell there's a huge difference between knowing about Jesus and loving Jesus in embracing Jesus. And that has to happen when the Word of God is preached or shared and the Holy Spirit comes in power and does a work in you. Listen to what Jesus says in John 6:40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him. Should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Did did you catch that? You would expect Jesus to say what? We were in John for two years. What would you expect Jesus to say? This is my Father's will that everyone who believes in Jesus has eternal life. Is that what Jesus says? Read Read the verse carefully. This is the will of my Father that everyone who does what? Looks on the Son and believes in him. Now, why does Jesus intrinsically link looking and believing? They're intrinsically linked. You can't truly believe in Jesus until you've seen him. Until he's been revealed deep in your heart. Until those blinders have come off your eyes. Until you've been invaded by the Holy Spirit to where he does that internal work, to where Jesus is no longer boring to you. Jesus is no longer just a historical figure. Jesus is not just a cool guy that had some cool teachings. No, he is personally glorious to you and you embrace him as he's freely given to you in the gospel. Christ must be revealed in you. So maybe you're here this morning and you're like Charles Spurgeon on the back row. The preacher looks directly at you and says, look to Jesus and live. Look, all you need to do is look, look to Jesus and live. Look, 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 look to Jesus. And so my question for you would be, have your eyes been opened to the glory of who Jesus is? Have the blinders been taken off by the Holy Spirit to the glory of who Jesus is? Because the greatest thing you can do is to embrace. Embrace Jesus as he's freely offered to you in the gospel. Jesus is offered to you freely today. You've heard about him. You've seen him. Will you embrace him? Will you embrace Jesus? Will you taste and see that he is good? Will you give your life to him in faith? Maybe for some of you, this is the very first time you've heard this. And you've come to church for years, or maybe this is your first time in here, and everything that's been said to you up to this point has been in one ear and out the other. But today, for the very first time, in the depth of your heart, it's like the light bulb's gone on, and you truly see Jesus. That's the work of the Holy Spirit doing this supernatural work of grace in your heart. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. Let me ask you to bow your heads this morning. Many of us in this room know what it's like to be blinded by the God of this age. And then to be overcome by grace deep in our hearts, where God, you said, let there be light. And Lord, as amazing as it was on the day of creation when you created out of nothing, you called into existence a universe out of nothing simply by the power of your word. Father, that's the same thing you do in the hearts of lost people. You overcome that darkness and that deadness, and you do a recreation a supernatural recreation to where we see Christ is glorious, Christ is revealed in us, and we're born again. We're new creatures in Christ. We're made alive. Lord, I'm so thankful that you did this work in our hearts. It's not a work we could have ever done on our own. Lord, let that be our prayer every day, that you would open our eyes open the eyes of our hearts that we would see you, Jesus, high and lifted up. Because every day we know that our eyes are on other things. Our eyes are distracted. Our eyes are preoccupied. And maybe even by good things or sinful things. So Lord Jesus, we want to fix our eyes on you, the author and finisher of our faith. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here in this room this morning that is spiritually blinded, Holy Spirit, would you take the blinders off? Would you do a work of supernatural grace? Lord, I I want us all to walk out of this place and we can have the same testimony as Paul. Christ Jesus, the Son of God, was revealed in me. God did a work in me. Christ has come to live in me. I've been changed from the inside out. I've embraced Jesus. Lord, let that be a reality today that all of us would walk out of this room with a greater glimpse, a greater vision of the glory of Christ this week. That Jesus, you would be Before our eyes, as magnificent, as glorious, as powerful, as wonderful. As we sang earlier, the beautiful one. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. We want to see you. We want to see you high and lifted up. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.